0: You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at SarahRaven.com. As a Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange listener, we'd love to offer you 20% discount off anything on the website SarahRaven.com. Just use the code PODCAST20F at the checkout until the 18th of November. Terms and conditions apply. See Sarah for details. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven. And my great friend Arthur Parkinson, who's not here today actually because we're going to do a food and growing veg episode. And I really wanted to interview Julia Parker, who is somebody who I've known vaguely at a distance for about 20 years. And she has got a wonderful book out at the moment called The Little Grower's Guide, which really grabbed me because it has a combination of how to grow simple veg with kids how to cook the veg that you and they have grown, and then a few really nice projects, very much concentrating on getting kids to appreciate nature and bugs and butterflies, etc. So it's right up my alley. So today, Julia is here. Welcome, Julia. Thank you, Sarah. Lovely to be back here. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll tell everyone how we first came across each other
1: well many moons ago I'm guessing plus 20 years ago when I lived in London I live in the countryside now I'm not too far from Sarah and I came on I think probably one of her early one of your early courses it was flowers flowers in spring and I mean you'd been written up all over the papers there'd been lots of press about you and you were sort of the new cutting edge cutting garden person to come and see so a girlfriend and I made the trek and we had the best day, but the thing that stuck in my mind, I don't know why I was expecting to come in March and find a garden full of colour. Oh, yeah. And we had our morning with you. We had, <laughs> I think there was a slideshow and other things going on. And then we we were allowed to go outside. In fact, I think we went outside. Yes, we were allowed to pick flowers and go into a barn. You yes. must have had a barn not, not yeah. far from here. Yeah. And I remember going out, almost running with my friend to go out to find the flowers to see a lot of green and I thought my goodness how am I going to pick anything from this and then I thought no no Sarah said pick things in bud and particularly you were talking about poppies your Icelandic poppies I think the big ones and I found a few with a bit of colour and uh, (laughs) went inside and, and you were absolutely right by the time we got inside we had lots of fillers as well went in and they were beginning to open and then we drove home and still the poppies were not quite open and then I remembered you'd said in the morning you can use a hairdryer Oh, yes. Yeah. So out the hairdryer came. And I did have the most amazing orangey, yellow and green posy arrangement that oh, lasted long over a week. Yeah, and good. lots of, of tips. you've got a good memory. <laughs> wow, it was so impressionable. <laughs> it's funny the things you remember, but it was such a brilliant course. Nobody had taught flowers and picking and cutting like that before. Oh. So pleased to have come. And then obviously I followed you and watched your rise to fame ever since and it's been lovely and then you'll move to vegetables and on the back of that I grow fruit and veg and teach a few people locally about what to do and and it's just
0: fantastic so yes thank you very much. That's so nice to hear that's wonderful and uh, tell us a bit about your work life and how you've got involved with writing this book with Gilly and tell us about Gilly. Yes so years ago I worked in publishing Uh, I know we just published
1: a book, but I actually knew very little about how to publish a book. I was on the photo side, so I was a picture researcher. Right. And I got myself a job for a part work. Now, a part work is a weekly magazine where people subscribe and not sure they're truly aware that they're subscribing for possibly over a hundred issues. But anyway, I blagged my way into this job because it was a proper picture researcher for solely one magazine and it was called Successful Gardening. Mm. Although I was interested and had a garden in every flat and balcony and house we had, I sort of played at styling a little bit. So I threw myself in at the deep end and I got to know all the lovely photographers. So Andrew Lawson, Jerry Harper, Clive Nichols, Marion Marges, the whole lot. And I would ring them and I'd say, oh, you know, good morning, for example, Andrew. And I'd say, or actually Jerry was the funniest, you know, can you source a photo of such and such great Latin name? And I would always pronounce it incorrectly. So Jerry would correct and laugh and then we'd carry on. Actually, that's how I learned. And my knowledge just became, without realising it, quite large with Latin names. And now I'm pretty much nearly there. thanks Thanks to that to the job and I grew to well I loved gardening anyway but I grew to love it all the more because day in day out choosing beautiful photographs I mean okay step by step do feature as well in a teaching gardening magazine but I you know we went abroad we went to Paris to meet the Paris photographers went to Holland and yeah I just absorbed all these beautiful pictures and sort of one day thought I want to have some of that. Yeah. So that's how I started. And and then I did that. And then eventually, I'm publishing changed a bit. I went freelance and then we moved. And I had my children, two girls. And so I grew things with them, with the knowledge I had. So London, we had a small garden, but I grew some things when they were teeny tiny and toddlers. And I'd be teased by the un- other London mummies. You know, of course, Julie, she's got her rhubarb growing out the back. But we grew peas, we grew artichokes very easy things to grow in london yeah, great. Um, and and then we moved to the countryside and publishing as i said had changed it went digital by this stage so people like me not really needed no anyone could access photographs online and so i focused on the girls and the move and there was a quite a large garden with our house but not looked after part walled garden redundant rickety greenhouse falling down and so i took to it and I focused focused on the new school the new house and growing some things and Mm. I filled it fabulous and that's how we're here today really so I people would come and say how do you do this and I would give little lessons in the sitting room about what to do thinking gosh I'm sure I don't know more than you but I did and and that grew and then I came across Gilly probably about 12 years ago our husbands worked together and she was editor of Sainsbury's baking magazine. And she asked me to write an article for a Tesco food magazine. And I said, well, that's lovely, but I can't write. I'm a a visual person. And she said, no, no, anyone can write. I can hold your hand. So we ensued and the Parker's Patch name was born because that's the name they gave me. And I had a double page spread in Ah. Tesco food magazine called Parker's Patch on what to do that month. And then harvesting and cooking and what would be a good thing to use these or the the crops and the produce for and that was our connection and that lasted for about 10 months and then very sadly it folded but by that stage I'd really got the hang of writing surprisingly so and loved it so I missed it then Gilly's life changed and they moved to Singapore And she has published to date five books, I think now, maybe this is the sixth. And she decided she wanted to do something with gardening. So she approached me from Singapore and said, come on, how about it? I know you can do it. So we put our heads together and we had weekly Zoom calls, or Mm -hmm. actually FaceTime then. And we set up a Google Drive and we started writing our book.
0: Wow, that's so great. And how long did it take? about a year, probably yeah.
1: over a year to put together. It was good having the weekly virtual meeting yeah. because it gave you... It kept you going. Anyway. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. quite easy. Yeah. I mean, you must know to sort of be distracted and do other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But so um, I'd love to concentrate on a few of the things in the book, which particularly grab my attention and we can chat about them, but also do, of course, chip in with any yes. that you want to talk about. I was very excited to see gutter pipes appearing in the book because I'm a huge advocate of gutter pipes. I love them. And so do you use gutters or guttering? I never know whether you call them gutter pipes, which I think are the down vertical or guttering which i think yes. they're the horizontal but i anyway. don't know I
1: call, I call it guttering but i think it's absolutely brilliant yes and some i've got a few holes drilled in the base and some yeah. i haven't i don't know how you, do you do holes in the no, base no don't anymore no no it's interesting um i'm not sure it makes much difference yeah. so i love them for things like lettuces mm. um shallow rooted things that need the warmth the thing about them is i don't know if anyone's listening has uh, familiar with the guttering, but they're you know shallow bits of gutting that would hang on the side of a roof and mm you fill them with multi purpose compost and you can scatter some seeds and i don't even cover the lettuce with compost mm. because they've germinate very quickly and they need the warmth and they hold the moisture yeah but also they're quite good as a holding base so yes yeah. Yeah, so you do the same thing I mean they're brilliant and they fit on window ledges because of the size of them. Yeah. So about springtime I can have the greenhouse full inside and outside of the guttering. Yeah. And I just thought it was a good thing to include in the book because you can have them cut to any size. Absolutely. So little Absolutely. people could have little sized ones. Yeah. And yeah so
0: that's that's how I use them and, and I've loved them and yes. And you're completely right because they're often black. They absorb any heat going so that they're almost like a mini propagator. Yes. So I'm a massive fan too. And the other thing that I have found with children is a really wonderful thing to grow are potatoes in containers. And I think it's that sort of magic of turning them out and one by one, like sort of prizes in a lucky dip or whatever yes. out the potatoes. I mean, I still send my husband out to him um, do potatoes. He like he prefers to do it with his hands rather than with a spade and he just loves it you know if potatoes need to be dug Adam's 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 the one who who's <laughs> who's racing out the door and I can tell you potatoes are the only thing and he, he loves it but for that lucky dip thing but it's great you've included those well because as you so rightly said they are quite easy but difficult to get
1: wrong aren't they yeah and actually containers uh, we called it a sack of potatoes because we thought that was quite fun. A lot of our projects have headings. And it's easier then, as you said, I say, tip out the sack and see what you've got because I do rummage when I grow them in the ground and often miss potatoes. And yes. then the following season, yeah. they can be a little bit of a pest. Mm. Yes, yeah, so we did the sack of potatoes. And I mean, Gilly's son turned them out for us. He must have been 11 then. We had her Gilly's children modeled in our book, and a couple of my friend's children did too, which was fun. And um, yes, yeah, so I just got to make sure, and everybody, if you grow them in a container, that you water your potatoes mm, yeah. quite a bit. That's the only thing I'd say you've got to remember to do. But other than that, potatoes, you can plant a seed potato and ignore it leave it alone and it produces these magic potatoes doesn't it yes for the book i'd grew uh international kidney which is known as jersey royals i don't know do you do you have a favorite
0: potato or for forcing uh, do you know all those ones like foremost and express i which are meant to be for forcing or for early i find a bit Tasteless and mm. and not so nice. So I like you do grow international kidney, but my favourite for forcing is a variety called Anya. Oh yes, but yes. it can be quite difficult to get. But I'm I'm a massive fan of waxy potatoes, so that's why Anya is a really good one. Yes, yeah. The the other project that I love in the growing section of the book is the one that you the project you call Sweetie Peas. So will you talk us about that? Yes. So Sweetie Peas, we wanted to think of
1: things to encourage children to grow all year. Because a lot of people hear, oh gosh, you brought out a gardening book, that's just for spring. And we wanted to prove to people that you can grow all year. You don't even need a garden. So for those of you that have a balcony or you don't have access to outside, it's very important to know that you can still grow. And again, children have such a small attention span that growing, well, sweet pea shoots is what we grew, which I'll
0: come on to they germinate very quickly. And that's... Well, pea, edible well, pea shoots, not sweet pea. No. We've got, to, we've got to be clear with everyone about that. Don't grow sweet peas and pick those because they are not edible. Okay, everyone. So have you got that? It's peas <laughs> and the pea tips, not sweet peas, but they do taste really sweet, but they're edible peas. Okay. Very well said. Thank you. <laughs> Big warning. Yes. So we
1: sowed pea seeds, which are general, normal, any variety of pea seeds to grow something called pea shoots, which are quite an expensive salad if you go to a supermarket or farm shop. So it made sense to grow a lot of them in a tin. So because we thought, a quality street tin was fun. I found an old one at a, an antique show. Um, we're very keen on reusing and recycling anything and everything that we used in the book. And so I threw some seeds in some compost and scattered some water on, covered them over, and very quickly the pea seeds germinated. And they grew very quickly and they are fascinating for children because the thing about pea shoots is that they taste of pea. Yeah, I know. You don't expect that. No, no. And expensive. So why wouldn't you grow them at home? A bag of pea seeds is not much and a bag of pea seeds, you wouldn't sow them all in one go. You'd save them. So actually one seed packet could go all through the sort of three to four months of winter and sit them inside on a window ledge in a warm kitchen and you can grow them pretty much three to four months. I said in the book that you can harvest them up to three times. I don't know if you've had better success. Yeah, Sarah, no, I'd that? say two to three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you would throw them on the compost yeah. and then start the cycle again, but it doesn't take long. And, and, and so that's how that came
0: about. And that's a really brilliant job for this time of year, isn't it? But, you know, as you say, wherever you grow, wherever you, you know, wherever your garden is. Yes. And the final thing I'd say about them is that we've done an experiment actually of of varieties for pea tips here and we found that you simply can't taste the difference between um, expensive varieties like Hearst Greenshaft or relatively expensive or even more expensive varieties like Nairobi which is actually my favorite pea variety which is a sugar snap and those boxes that you get often in the soup department in supermarkets called marrow fat peas yes and they're literally they are for thickening soup And they cost often under a quid for a box, a little box of them. And they taste exactly the same as the others if you eat them at the pea tip stage. That's interesting. That's a great tip. So we can add that into the sweetie pea, but not sweet pea um, tips. (laughs) And then um, onto the cooking, which I know you said when we were chatting before that had been mainly Gilly's department, but there were a few recipes that really Drew my eye. And funny enough, we had something similar to this last night for supper. So I'd love you to talk us through sticky salmon. Oh, sticky salmon,
1: yes. So my girls are a little bit older than perhaps the target age group of the book, which is up to about 13. But Gilly's recipes are for everyone, for no matter what age you are. And so the sticky salmon is delicious. It's a very simple piece of salmon, but we grew broccoli to go in the dish. And with the addition of ginger, and some lemon and yeah it's it's easy to make you bake it in the oven it's a bit like a one pot wonder actually yeah and takes about 20 minutes because salmon is a fast yeah. cooking fish isn't it yeah, very, yeah. Um. and it's really really delicious and you have store cupboard ingredients that sort of go-to things that you can use so I thought Gilly was very clever with that and it's my girls definitely took that to uni and yeah. made that at union, they were clever. They'd find a side of salmon and chop it up into pieces rather than buying an expensive salmon steak. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but no, that was good, and, and you could grow your own garlic and your ginger that also is in the dish. But I, I'm all for easy dishes, mm. and Gillie's very good
0: at adding lots of flavour mm. to a simple dish. Great. And the other one that, that really drew my eye is the tray-baked pizza with the five-minute pizza dough because we make pizzas here if we have people to stay almost every weekend. Oh, do you? And we have a pizza oven here. But I, um, it's the first thing, if I get up on a Sunday morning and I know we're having pizzas for lunch, I'll make the dough straight away Right. because it, it just needs, with yeast, it needs that four or five hours really – to get that lovely biscuit texture. So you get the sort of air through the flour, but you, and then it's not, I don't like deep pan pizzas. I like the sort of biscuit ones, but I love the idea of this five minute pizza dough. If I forgot to make the pizza and it's using a self-raising flour, isn't it? Yes, it is exactly. So that, that replaces the yeast really. So it's
1: just much easier and it makes it slightly easier for the children to pull apart. Yeah. Actually, is the difference it makes. Yeah. But again, you know, honing down a recipe for five minutes busy mums or dads you know you don't have much time I mean you get up and you plan it but often when you've got young children you can't plan those things and they're always hungry and they love pizza don't they so no that was how Gilly came up with that and it was just brilliant I mean literally five minutes is amazing not many ingredients also well pizza dough doesn't take many ingredients but that was clever and then just you know you could even make your own tomato sauce to go on it from our book and then you can feed them quite quickly whether you have a pizza oven or not yeah
0: just in a really really, really, hot oven, the well, hottest yes. you can get your oven to go.
1: Yes. So for the book, Gilly made all the recipes in my kitchen and um, I just have an arga, and um, oh, okay. she was doing everything it's not a very big kitchen but she was amazing so the arga was belting out the heat and the pizzas were in and the cake was back in and I'd grown everything as well all the ingredients so yeah. that's why some things in the pictures don't look as if they've been polished and <laughs> perfectly picked because actually it's how they look yeah that's great um, but no so it was a it was fun and then obviously we got to taste everything when Gilly was cooking it because yeah. we did Testing before so for example her pizza day was tried and tested but we had you know the
0: real models testing the real critics during that week yeah that's so good and then there was one other that really drew my eye or perhaps two others actually in the recipe section i love the idea of this 10 minute jam again the simplicity of jam i just spent the bank holiday weekend slaving over making membrillo and Literally, you know, picking the fr- it just took forever. And it was fun, and I'm pleased I've done it, but it was very, I had to get up at five one morning oh to get it reduced. Enough. So, anyway, I'm rather keen on the idea of, of using the Kia seeds as the thickener yes, and also reducing the amount of fruit a little bit so it's not too pippy because I love raspberry jam but I find it I do get the pip stuck in my teeth raspberries is something else isn't it with the particularly homegrown ones they yeah. seem
1: pippier than normal yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so that also brilliant I mean attention span for children not having time to spend half a day over mm-hmm. a boiling no pot of jam I mean I've spent hours mm. particularly marmalade as well but no so again very clever and you know it's not a full set but it doesn't matter does it that's no, the thing not that at all the chia seeds are wonderful and also very good for you
0: yeah really very good yes. incredibly
1: nutritious well precisely so yeah. it's kind of you often think of jam as being really quite bad for you because it's just full of sugar yeah but again Gilly sort of you know changed the recipe Made it quick, made it tasty, and it was really good. That was left over, which was a win win in my book when she left.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) excellent. And then the final one in the recipe section is the Eat and Mess ice cream cake. I mean, this just looks and sounds a a, a complete corker of a recipe. I make a not dissimilar thing, but it's with coffee and kalua. Is it that's the coffee liqueur? liqueur, Yes. And so not so child friendly. And it is amazing because the coffee cuts through the sweetness of the cream and the sweetness of the meringue, but it's rather similar in that you freeze it and then you can cut it in slices. And I, I do it often actually uh, for Christmas Eve and I put fresh pomegranates over the top. Oh, by the way, all these recipes that we're mentioning, we'll put in the podcast notes. So, you know, anyway, most of them will be there. So I love the idea of this with strawberries because it's just so much more child-friendly. And using a pre-made carton of custard. I think that's genius to make it a little bit less rich in a way. Yes,
1: or less rich, easy. Yeah. Again, store cupboard if you need with your fresh custard or you could make, yeah. make custard from the cupboard. Um, no, brilliant. And also the fact that she made it. I know it's called the Eaton Mess Cake, but it looks quite classy, doesn't it? Yeah, it that looks beautiful. You could use that for a supper party, which yeah. actually I've done. Yeah. And simple, and you may or may not have to make the meringues if you didn't want to. There no. are lots
0: of shortcuts there. Yeah. I actually do like the sound of yours, though, Sarah. With it coffee. is. Well, I have to say, it's one of my favorite recipes ever given to me by a very old friend who used to work with me here maybe about 15 or 20 years ago called Tam Lawson. And I've probably made that recipe every year for probably half the dinner parties I've had Goodness <laughs> ever may. since. Goodness yeah. me, I might ask you to share oh, until we've finished recording. Yeah, it's very, very easy. And it's, you can make it months before, of yes, course, and it doesn't. Yes,
1: well, the same with Gillies. And also she's used strawberries because yeah. um, at, uh, sort of November, December, they're not they're not going to be homegrown probably. But you could replace that actually with any fruit. You don't have to stick with strawberries. Yeah, of course.
0: Yes. I mean, so at this time of year, passion fruit would yes. be great, wouldn't they? Yes, and, you know, pomegranates, as I say, maybe not so good for kids, but yeah, they probably would be. Oh, well, yes. And and pears and apples. Pears and, would be good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So anything and then sweetened it a bit with brown sugar or whatever. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, caramelize it a bit and then use it in the same way. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Any recipes that you particularly love and and, and want to highlight or should we move on to the... No, no, the, I, I,
1: I am a a baker, so um, I feel we should include a cake. Oh, that would (laughs) be nice, yeah. So tell us about your cake. So Gilly did a cake just for me called the gardener's cake um, because I'm renowned for baking different muffins, seasonal muffins, I call them, with whatever's in the garden. And so Gilly created a cake that was a healthy cake with parsnip and apple and courgette to make it moist for the children. Mm. And um, she used my favourite cream cheese frosting, which I could just eat by the bucket load, I have to admit. Mm. And we decorated it and got the children to collect flowers, edible flowers in the garden. And when she made it, it smelt delicious, even before she diced it. And then the children, we put everything all over it. It looked amazing and we all tucked in. It was just delicious. So she's she's a clever girl, but we had to have the baking for me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And edible flowers, I think, are a really good way of getting children into gardening and thinking about, you know, not in an alarmist way, but what's poisonous and and what is edible. And I've certainly found that with, with my kids is that, you know, they know that all roses, all primroses, all pansies, all the dianthus family—they know they're edible because they've eaten them all their life. Actually, all dahlias. Yes, dahlias. You know, I can go on. Yes, <laughs> but I discovered hemerocallis. Yes, uh, yeah, yes, and all tulips too. But we've tried them; they don't taste particularly nice. And then, of course, with more punchy flavour, all the nasturtiums, and um, you know, there are lots and lots, aren't there? But I think it's a lovely way of getting children to get into colour, but also into the fact that. Some things can be eaten, some things can't. and, and No, it's you're quite right, because
1: colour is so important for children, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the rainbow colours, that's what they're attracted to. Yeah. Um, and we actually had to be careful with the cake because they they kind of knew what they could pick and I was advising and following them around the garden with a colander. But, you know, something like a nasturtium could actually have a bitter effect and put them off maybe eating the cake. So we were careful with what was chosen and also what was growing and in season when we photographed the book. So we did it in July and August is when we had the photography, which sometimes the challenge for things like kale, I was trying to sort of have tomatoes and kale and things all at the different stages Yes, of course. So I'd been the mad plants woman behind the scene, <laughs> yeah. nurturing and talking to different plants and hoping and praying they'd be okay for the shoot. Yeah, yeah.
0: But somehow we got by. Fabulous. So let's um, move on to the last section of the book, which is the sort of projects that, I don't know, you've got. In my case, it would be grandchildren or friends' grandchildren are ever coming to stay because that's the stage I'm at now. And you want to think of something apart from perhaps baking, which is a lovely thing. And I really love cooking with kids, but something that takes you out into the garden. And particularly at this time of year, you're not going to be sowing so many seeds out in the garden. But there are three things that really I thought were fabulous. And the first, which is so relevant now in November when this is going out, which is feeding the birds. So will you chat us through that one?
1: Yes, yeah, so feeding the birds. So we wanted a simple, fun, inexpensive way to, to encourage children to bring the, the birds into the garden, to watch them and to make notes. So we scooped out some citrus and we filled them with a, a mixture that Gilly had made with fat and seeds. And then we hung them with some twine mm. on a branch. And it's just Fun to get them involved rather than going out, using petrol, choosing a bird feeder that's metal and and okay, these probably are not very squirrel friendly at all because we're all battling the squirrels, Mm. stop them from taking all the bird feed. But it was a fun way to to show children that you can actually inexpensively and quickly make bird feeders to to hang from the garden. It Mm. was great fun hanging them. They chose the branches. And we sat and waited, not that they could keep very quiet for very long. So <laughs> we didn't entice any unusual wildlife in, but we did yeah. have the sort of enormous, you know, my friendly robin and the blackbirds. Yeah, The pigeons kept well away. But yes, it was, again, it was a simple way and we didn't need any tools. You could just use the end of a pencil to make a hole in the side of the orange. Yeah. And we could also eat the contents of the orange that we were scooping out to make the the bird feeders with. Yeah. So that that's how it came about. I mean, Gilly is is full of clever ideas. That was her idea. It was a very, really good one.
0: And the thing about citrus is it lasts that bit longer than a soft skinned. Yes. You know. I mean apples hanging trees are great but they'll be gone in a couple of days precisely so yeah. that's the
1: thing and actually if you were clever you could leave an orange in the fruit bowl yeah and wait for it to be way beyond its sell-by date so that the skin is already quite tough yeah is also quite a good way to make it last longer in the garden I think the oranges were the, were good because they were bigger yes exactly um, exactly yes. so you can
0: fit Put more f- seeds in um, yes. and then of course I mean a coconut shell is a traditional thing isn't it that you could do the same yes yes we just
1: wanted to do different things we wanted to try and make people more
0: interested and rather than same old yeah Yeah. think outside the box yeah great Mm. and then the butterfly banquet i love i mean it's getting a bit late now for butterflies but on a sunny day even at this time of year you get certainly we have cabbage whites here and i love the idea of putting out sweet fruit that, as you say, has gone a little bit past its sell-by date. And rather than putting it on the compost heap or worse, in the bin... Exactly, yes. ...put it out for the butterflies and they'll be drawn in by the by the sweetness. Yes,
1: well, apples and pears, you know, they've gone over in the fruit bowl. They are perfect things to, to put in there. You could just put a bowl out... You could use anything actually for them, just lay things on a table. You don't necessarily need to have a specific butterfly feeder. Yeah. But yes, and you're quite right on warm days, even in December, sometimes yeah. butterflies emerge, don't they? Yeah. And that's a great way of bringing pollinators into the garden and wildlife and just making it a usable place for everyone for you for the animals for the insects they're also important and and such a big part of the animal kingdom that I think we overlook that yeah yeah we totally. think about feeding the birds but we don't think about yeah. feeding the other insects yeah yeah
0: and by then i know people are scared of wasps i remember i did a whole series of programs for the bbc about pollinators and I think that I was slightly derogatory about wasps. And quite rightly, somebody came back and said, Sarah wasps are one of our most important pollinators. And just because you're alarmed by them, it doesn't mean they're not good news. And and that's true. But anyway, I think with kids, by, by November, the wasps will have gone. And whereas there will be the old butterflies, so that would be nice. Yes, And then, of course, really, really important is to give places for things like solitary bees to overwinter, So I'd love for us to end with building a bug hotel, which is a perfect job for a a sort of November, December weekend.
1: Yes, it is actually. And also it's easy to scavenge and forage in your garden because we used an old tin and we just pulled out old dried leaves, old bits of bamboo cane, little hollows, all sorts of debris basically from all over my garden and we filled the tin and we just made it into a kind of, it was like it was rough but the children put things in, somebody added some grass, it doesn't matter what you put in as long as it's a little hidden area for a number of insects and yes you're right the solitary bees the tree bees which I think are a relatively new species to this country in the last five years they need somewhere to hide as well we we have those around us and um, we put this little tin and we hid it in my log store yeah. and there it remained for about a year and a half and actually I think it's just been pushed the back a little bit but I'm sure it's probably full at the moment in the hotel probably have to put no room at the inn there's yeah. a sign on it but a wonderful way to encourage insects into overwinter it's it's fantastic and
0: so simple and easy and as you're clearing the garden now is the perfect time exactly to to make as many as possible yes yes and then maybe to kind of get the microscope out and have a look of what's going on in there oh definitely you don't have to kill things to have a look under no some you know those sort of those tank microscopes are rather brilliant aren't they yes
1: they're very good but also it's a project for any child you know often you think well baking kind of traditionally that's for sort of you know the girls are going to do more baking than boys which is so not true I mean it's different now it's changing but you know it will encourage the real tomboy girls and the boys much more into foraging and finding and insects and it just it just gets everybody it doesn't matter what they're interested in they just love a bit of foraging and a bit of sort of in, you know, insect business going on. And yeah. you're right, fishing out a year later or six months later to see what, what's
0: in there. It's really good fun. Yeah, and the backyard as a sort of teaching space, not in a in a kind of classroom sort of way, but in a jolly fun sort of way. Well, in, you know, scavenging around the garden. What a brilliant thing to occupy children for 20 minutes. Yeah, totally. Well, it's been so nice to chat. And Julia and Gilly's book is called The Little Grower's Cookbook. And well, I think we've given you quite a sort of good resume of why I love it. And it's going to be on my Christmas list for various people. And yeah, so thanks so much for joining me today, Julia. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very
1: much for having me on. And any any excuse to chat about the Little Girls Cookbook, it's a very happy time. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Grow, Cookie to Range. Next week, Arthur's back and we're going to talk about trees, shrubs and climbers. So things we really rate to give permanent structure to a garden and away from the frippery and floweriness that we normally go on about, more about the bones and the important plants that you need to help you structure and architect a place. See you then. A Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange listener, we'd love to offer you 20% discount off anything on the website sarahraven.com. Just use the code PODCAST20F at the checkout until the 18th of November. Terms and conditions apply. See sarahraven.com for details. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sirovin.com.